Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Well, perhaps not. Good evening, everyone, and welcome. This is T-Love, your host here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am a Reiki master and certified sound therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where we are streaming to you live as we do every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. We have the nation's foremost expert on past life regression therapy joining us, Dr. Brian Weiss is a graduate of Columbia University and Yale Medical School, and he is also the Chairman Emeritus of Psychiatry at the Mount Sinai Medical Center in Miami, Miami, Florida, where he maintains a private practice and conducts international seminars and experimental workshops, as well as training programs for professionals. He's the author of several best-selling books based on his experience as a psychiatrist and healer. And he's been featured in numerous magazines, newspapers, and television shows, including The Oprah Winfrey Show, Larry King Live, 2020. And most recently, he graced the cover of Elevated Existence Magazine, a multi-award-winning spiritual magazine. And tonight, we're so very fortunate because he is joining us here at Energy Awareness Radio. Dr. Weiss, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. How are you being this evening? Oh, good, T. It's good to be on the show with you. Thank you. Oh, I'm so um, honored and blessed, and I thank you very much for your time. You are a leader in the field of past life therapy, and you've helped thousands of people connect with their past lives from which they have experienced tremendous healing and growth. And in your book, Miracles Happen, which you wrote with your daughter Amy, there are some unbelievably remarkable real-life stories to reveal how past life regression holds the keys to our spiritual purpose and actually can help and validate things that are going on in our current life. Now, this is incredibly fascinating work. And I remember as a child hearing about reincarnation and being totally amazed by the possibility. And I bought right into it, you know, but I was a child and children tend to believe in a lot of different things. However, I never wavered from that. I I brought the belief of reincarnation into adulthood with me and I didn't really care if anybody thought I was out there where the buses don't run or not, that was me. You, though, you know, a man of science with a thriving psychiatric practice, it makes complete sense to me that you'd be skeptical. So in an effort to allow our listeners who may not be aware, would you first tell us what it was that made you a believer? Well, you're absolutely right. I was not a believer. I was very skeptical. And and credit to you for being open-minded and staying with that, not letting people turn you around or change your mind. You knew what was real and you just stayed with it. But I wasn't exposed to it as a child. So I grew up very academic and left brain and went through traditional uh, academic training through medical school, became a psychiatrist, then a professor of psychiatry and chairman of a psychiatry department. And psychiatrists, as, as people know, these are physicians. So I had to go through medical school and all of that training, <clears throat> past lives, reincarnation. These are not taught in medical schools, not in the U.S. And so not believing in this, I had a patient, and I called her Catherine. That was in my first book, Many Lives, Many Masters. And she came into my office around 1980. That's when it began. And she was suffering from panic attacks and phobias and fears, uh, depression. And I used hypnosis, which is just a form of focusing the concentration. It's very simple and very safe. And we went back to try to find childhood memories that could be causing her symptoms now. 
because she didn't have much of a memory for her childhood. She had kind of an amnesia for that. And hypnosis can can allow you to retrieve those types of memories. And and I told her um, after one session, when she went back to childhood and found some traumas and other important events, but her symptoms remained severe, the next week when she was in, I asked her to go back to the time when her symptoms first began. I thought she'd go back to early childhood, but she didn't. Her subconscious mind, taking that literally, went back about 4,000 years. And she was in an ancient life in the Near East, drowning in a flood or tidal wave in that lifetime, her baby being torn from her arms by the force of the water. But she didn't have any children in her current life, so it was very strange to me, and yet so vivid and so emotional. And amazingly, her symptoms started to get better immediately. Just after remembering this, her lifelong fear of gagging, choking, drowning, deep water, all those things disappeared when she remembered that ancient lifetime. So that was the beginning for me. It took a lot more, but that was the start of opening my mind. That That's just so incredible because, you know, you have to wonder at some point as you're talking to somebody through hypnosis, and I've been regressed a couple of times, and, and I often think, am I just making this up? I mean, mm-hmm. this must be, I'm making it up. You know, I can't, but my mind, I don't know if it's that creative that it could come up with this story, <laughs> you know. Right, right. And And you sitting there listening to it, that had to be weird. It was weird because <laughs> I had already treated her for over a year with traditional therapy. She wouldn't take any medicine, so I had to use traditional psychotherapy. And I was trained to do that. That was okay. But it was going very slowly. But I knew she didn't hallucinate. She wasn't delusional. She didn't have this kind of fantasy or... You know, so I knew what was her and I knew what was not her. And this was so detailed and so emotional and so clear that that it just seemed like more. And then when her symptoms started to disappear, I knew it was more. But it still took me a much longer time to believe in it because I was so resistant. She She started, the patient, Catherine, believing in past lives quickly because she was experiencing them. Right, and I, I was watching it, but I wasn't experiencing. So, so for her, it was easier. For me, what happened about the fourth or fifth time? She died in one of these ancient lifetimes, I think, in the Middle Ages, and she floated above her body, finding a beautiful light, and much like the near-death experience work of Dr. Raymond Moody and Dr. Elizabeth Kubler Ross and others. And she, floating in that space in between lifetimes, began to tell me about my father and my uh, son, my first son, both of whom had died before she even began her treatments with me, her therapy, and neither of whom anybody knew about in Miami where I was seeing her. That's where I was chairman of the Department of Psychiatry. And she was telling me secret, private medical details of what they died from, the heart conditions, and and nobody knew this, not, not even our best friends, not our relatives. They didn't know the medical details, especially of the baby. My father, they knew, but she was a laboratory technician, Catherine, in the hospital where I was chairman of psychiatry. She wasn't an FBI agent. She right. was an investigative reporter. So she couldn't know this. There was no place to look it up. It was before the Internet even and i knew then that something much more than meets the eye was going on and that was the beginning really the epiphany for me that's where i really shifted and i've been studying it ever since and that was 32 years ago 
And probably she was being given that information to validate for you. I think so. I think so, T. As I look back on it, um, it certainly helped her. I mean, her symptoms disappeared, and that's one thing that this type of work, past life therapy, does. It gets rid of physical and emotional symptoms that come from other times. But for me, I think looking back, if I didn't have um, to experience the death of my son, that maybe I wouldn't have written any of the books. Maybe she would have come into my office. Perhaps we would have stumbled upon past lives. And maybe it would have become a hobby for me. But it was very risky to go public. I was chairman of the Department of Psychiatry. I could have lost my job for that or ethics and other things. And it was very risky at that time to to write, to go public. And I had a house with a big mortgage and two young children by the time she was coming in. So that were born subsequently to my first son. And so it was very risky. And perhaps if I didn't go through that grief and want to help other people who had grief and know that what I was telling them, some of my other patients, I was talking about what was going on with Catherine, and they were getting better, and it was helping them with their grief. And I knew that anything you can do to help people who are grieving, this is really important. And I went through that. I didn't want them to. Yeah, and, and that's a that's a huge thing is you don't want to take away their ability to grieve because they need to and you don't want to tell them to hurry up the process, but if you can do anything to stop the suffering part of right. it a right. little exactly. bit. It's hard to explain, but I feel the same way. No one should suffer. No one should suffer and and you don't want to tell them to rush it. One thing you did say is that, you know, she wasn't on medicine. If if someone is on medicine for psychiatric purposes and, and tried to do a past life regression, do you think that would impede the flow of the of the, the past life regression? It wouldn't work for them? Well, it depends on the medicine. For okay. example, if someone's depressed and they take an antidepressant medicine and they feel better, then it helps them to concentrate and it helps the memory. Uh-huh. But if someone's you know abusing a medicine or taking too much of it or has difficulty concentrating because of the medicine, then it will get in the way. So some medicines get in the way and others help, actually. Mm. Mm. Now, you had mentioned, you know, your work and and what you were doing at the time. Were you even a little, hmm, I don't want to use the word afraid, that's not the correct word, apprehensive, I think that's it. Were you a little apprehensive at all about what your colleagues would think of you when you first wrote about this? Oh, especially in the beginning. Um, but I was so so much of a scientist. That was my training, and I was in academic medicine, academic psychiatry. So in science, you know that you observe things, phenomena, experiments. You observe, and you make notes, and then you test it. That's called a hypothesis. Then you test the hypothesis. You develop a theory of it, and that's how it works. So I was observing these things, and it was very clear, and... More patients came in after Catherine, of course, and I was seeing the same thing with them. They were getting better by using past life therapy also. And I was learning all this remarkable information. So to me, I was just describing what I was observing in my office, in my work. So to me, that really did fit the scientific model as I was trained. I was apprehensive because it was kind of far out. It was very, very different. But I knew that what I was observing was real. I mean, I could see it. I could tested i could weird stuff started happening to validate cases you know people speaking foreign languages that they never learned and people knowing 
historical facts and details that they had never studied, and they were correct. So, so I knew that what I was observing had a really strong validity to it, and that it was helping people. And those were very powerful reasons to keep doing the research. The really sad part is that you were doing this for all these other people, but nobody was doing it for you. <laughs> you right. didn't get to experience it, you know? <laughs> yeah, but but it, for me it's been a blessing, I know. Uh, no, Well, my first son died 10 years before Catherine came in, and there was nobody then to tell me these things that I would study later, and that's okay. I mean, I, I went through that, and that kind of sensitized me to helping people with grief, as we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. So that was okay. And since that time, you know, since Catherine, since the others, I've had experiences of my own. I know more. But it's been a blessing to me to meet so many fantastic people from all over the world and who are doing similar work, whether it's energy work or healers or uh, past life therapy or mediums or psychics or whatever. I've I've learned so much more that my mind was closed to in the old days before Catherine came in. So for me, in the long run, it's been a great blessing, just these opportunities to help people and opportunities to meet such fascinating people. Yeah, I agree. I meet a lot of people in my work, too, and it's it. I find it opens your heart, and it, it allows you to feel more and to be more compassionate and understanding, less judgmental. There are so many components to it, just yeah. because you know there's so much more out there. You know, there's no way I could know everything that's out there, but isn't it interesting to to try to fill that gap and see how much there is. It's very, very cool. I think you cool. said that very beautifully. It's, <laughs> that's what it does. It opens your heart and it makes you more compassionate. It changes your values because you, you're looking at lifetimes now. You're looking at what's important and what's not so important and how do you progress through lifetimes? How do you evolve along your spiritual path? And that, that has a lot to do with the heart and opening the heart and becoming kinder and less violent and more accepting and and more compassionate more charitable these are these are the traits that we should be learning so what you said i completely agree with yeah i think that it teaches us that we really are all connected and if we're all connected and coming from the same fabric when you do something that potentially hurts or harms someone else you're harming yourself why would you want to do that and that's I think that might be something just as you get older that you kind of understand. I don't know. But. <laughs> I, I wish more people understood that. It's not just getting older brings wisdom. Sometimes it does, but it's also keeping an open mind. You remember you said from a child you kept an open mind. Mm. And so this is very important because I know a lot of older people who are not very wise and who didn't evolve and some who have just being open to their own experiences and learning from it. If if the mind is closed, then you can't learn anything new. But if your right. mind is open, you can accept new information, you can learn, you can grow, you can become more loving, more compassionate, and that is what it's all about. So absolutely, that's what my work shows. And, and you know, uh, who is it? I know that some people have had 40, 100, or even more regressions in their lifetime. Um, Tammy Masterberti, who is the founder and publisher of Elevated Existence Magazine, and I, in 2010, I think it was, we did an interview with Shirley MacLaine in Malibu. And I think she said she had 180 past life regressions. It was a crazy number. I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, and 
for her, I did not know it until she said it. She found out that three times in past lives she had been choked. And she always had this these allergies and choking and stuff. And as soon as she found that out, they stopped. And I thought, I did not know that that was possible. I was amazed by that. And, of course, you're just corroborating that and saying, yeah, that's absolutely what happens that you see in your work. And I'm wondering, there, I mean, we all have tons and tons of past lives. Are, is there a limit to how many regress, regressions you should have, or do you just have them until you run out? And you probably never would run out in a lifetime. <laughs> you probably wouldn't have enough time. Oh, yeah. I don't think everyone needs to have so many regressions. Um, it's not really that important. It's important to go to those lifetimes that you need to go to. Maybe they're causing symptoms in the present life, as you just mentioned, with allergies. So one of the people in in Miracles Happen, the new book, is Nikki, and she. Um, I'm just thinking of her because um, she just showed up at a conference I gave, and I know I have a little more follow-up even from what's in the book. And she she could only eat a very small number of foods in her life. She was very sensitized to that. And it came from a past life when she died from eating a poisonous flower plant. And and when we learn that from doing the past life regression, then uh, her diet started to expand. From five foods, she could eat 10 and then 15 and 20. And now she can eat things without gagging or choking uh, the way she she had to suffer through it before the regressions. So she didn't need a ton of regressions. She didn't need 180 regressions. She just needed a few to find the lifetimes that were causing symptoms in her present life. You don't have to remember them all, just the important ones. And Shirley didn't have to remember all 180. That's not important, just the ones that are important to her present life. Yeah, I think she was doing it for fun. <laughs> no, that's different. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> she, she could, and that's fine. But as far as people needing to, don't they shouldn't not go, for example, to a past life therapist because they're going to think, oh, I have to remember 450 lives. That'll be that'll take 20 years, and I'll spend thousands and thousands of dollars. A lot of people I see only come once or twice or a few times. They remember the important lifetimes, and they're finished. So it's not really that um, arduous. You don't have to come forever and ever and uncover all of your past lives, just the important ones, the key ones. And I would think that you would be drawn to going for a regression because you need something and that your mind would really only allow you to learn that that you need at the moment and that which you can handle at that time. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. You you get what you can handle, and also, especially if you need a healing. You, mm-hmm. you know, therapists, we work at two levels mostly in doing this work. We sometimes are able to validate and confirm cases and check facts or details that come out. But the other level we work at mostly is the healing level. It's helping people get rid of symptoms, whether they're physical symptoms or emotional symptoms or relationships and you've lived with these other people in past lives and it helps to explain why they're acting this way and and this kind of thing. So I think I think the healing level is where we spend more time than the validational level. And it's really important if you're a healer, if you're a therapist, a physician, to help your clients, your patients, to watch them get better, to get rid of symptoms, to get rid of fears. They don't fear so much because they know that they're immortal, they're eternal. They've lived 
in the 8th century, in the 12th, and the 17th, and here they are again. So you start to see yourself from a bigger perspective throughout history and your soul, that part of your consciousness that goes from body to body through all of these centuries, through all of these lifetimes. That's the important part, not your body or your brain, but your soul. We have to take care of our bodies, of course, because that's how we manifest here in a three-dimensional world. That's how we get around. But the real important part of us is the soul or spiritual part or consciousness, the part that doesn't die with the death of the physical body. And so it's so healing to do this work. But I'm still thinking of what you said about Shirley MacLaine. That's that's too many. Don't that's yeah. way too many. You'd be overwhelmed having all of those memories. Just the few that are important to the present lifetime. Yeah, I think she, like I said, I think she does it because she's around a lot of people who are able to do that, and she likes to have fun with it. And she's written these books, and yeah. you know, she was she was big on reincarnation, you know, and everything. So yeah, her book uh, Out on the Limb came out in 1984, which is a very important yep. book in this field of past life therapy. Yeah, I've I've watched her movie. Um, I think I watch it every couple of years. I love that movie, so yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting to me. Now, this is probably going to be kind of weird, and I don't think anybody would need to know this, but have you ever had a regression or heard about anyone who had been regressed that led them to believe that they were someone perhaps infamous, maybe not so nice, that the whole world might have known that potentially would bother them because they were that person? Well, you... That question raises a couple of other related questions, too. Uh, do, do people have infamous or famous also past yeah. lives? Do you find that a lot? Um, and I don't find it very often. Most lifetimes are very mundane, average, and that's what you would expect statistically. Um, we don't find Joan of Arc and Cleopatra and Hitler and those people. We don't find them. That would be so, so, so rare. But we find servants and we find workers and we find uh, every run of, run of the mill that's who we are in general now some people they're apprehensive about having a past life regression because they're afraid they'll find that they were doing something that they're ashamed of or embarrassed by in a past life or violent or bad person and it doesn't really work that way it's it's sort of like um going through school here in the earth and we're all in the one-room schoolhouse, so we're in the first grade, second grade, fifth grade, eighth grade, on our way to graduation. And we've done things when we were in the first or second grade that we may not be proud of, pulling right. girls' hair on the playground, whatever <laughs> it is, you know. We don't do that in the 10th grade. And so you, when you see yourself uh, perhaps doing things you don't like and you're in the 8th century and you're a Viking, you you understand you have a perspective when you do regressions that, well, that's what Vikings did in the 8th century. That was the culture. So you don't blame yourself. You don't carry around a lot of guilt from a past life. If anything, it's the opposite. You clear up symptoms. You clear up guilt. You understand where problems or issues or emotional blocks come from, and then you resolve them, and so you live your present life happier. Um, the blocks are being removed. So I think that it, people are afraid of that, but it doesn't happen that way. There's a perspective, and you understand that we've all been first graders and second graders as we evolve in this earth school. Yeah, we're all works in progress. And yeah, exactly. That's, that's just the way it is, you know. It's funny, though, because I was regressed once. This is quite a while ago, probably early 90s, uh, at 
through the Association for Research and Enlightenment. And it was interesting, but I kept thinking, oh, come on, I'm just making this up. But they kept saying, no, you're really not. And I said, yes, I am. And they said, well, what did you get? And I said, I don't know, I'm some Admiral Nelson in some British Army somewhere. First of all, I wasn't a guy. I'm a girl. I like being a girl. And they were laughing. And they said, but in another life, you could have been a man. I said, no, I'm not buying yes, it. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And, and once I had a – it doesn't mean you were Admiral Nelson either. You might have been, but you might have also been near. And I had a – right. A patient once, a man who was um, thinking he was Napoleon in the regression. And he was, it was a very accurate, detailed regression with describing the uniforms and the battle strategies and locations and historical facts and details. Very accurate. So it was confusing to me because you just don't find famous people. It's very rare. You do. Sometimes we've had some that are like a little bit well known, but not. Um, overwhelmingly so, but it could be. Anyway, um, as I explored it in more detail, we did another regression and another, because they can come more than one time, and you can revisit a lifetime, even the same lifetime, more than once. No reason not to do that. But we found out that he was a soldier in Napoleon's army who was bivouacked. He was camped near Napoleon, within 200 yards. And hmm. Napoleon was his general. He was in the Army. So, in his present life, he has one of his symptoms is feeling powerless. So it just was a little distortion in his memory to make him Napoleon. He was watching Napoleon, yes, but he wasn't Napoleon. Ah, okay. See, now that makes sense because somebody said to me, "Did you ever try to validate it and see who this Admiral Nelson was?" I'm like, "No." And they said, "Why?" I said, "Because I'm not buying it." <laughs> yeah, yeah, but if, if you explore it more, T, then you find these other details come up. But this makes sense that I probably wasn't him because at the time in my life I did feel somewhat powerless. Yeah. So now I'm like, oh, maybe because I, I walked away from that thinking, you know what, okay, I wasn't him, but you know what, I could have been. You and, could have been or you could have been someone nearby. Mm, and, yeah. And that happens a lot. The, the memories can be, they don't have to be 1,000% accurate. It could be 95% accurate. Same like any memory. If I had you remember your first grade classroom and you described it that you can see the teacher the dress she was wearing yourself the other students the blue walls and it was very clear and then someone said no no the walls were green they were blue when you were in the second grade well that doesn't invalidate the memory it just this that's the nature of memories sometimes they're not 100% accurate maybe they're 98% accurate and it's still okay that's good right. enough hmm and when someone's being regressed, we're fully aware of what's happening in the room. You you understand that you're in a room yes. with a person. It's not like you're, uh, you know, under anesthesia or something. I think a lot of people think that you're you're completely taken out of, out of being in the present, and you're not. You're not. Um, you're describing it very accurately because you're in this relaxed state and you're concentrating, but you're you're not in a time machine. You don't actually go there. It's memory. And so you can be aware of your surroundings and where you are, and yet still paying attention to that memory. But it's not like um, oblivious to everything and you wander out of the time machine, and your eyes blinded by the light. No, it's memory, not time travel. Right. Right, and I think some people think it might be more than just a memory thing, you know, and, and so it's good to clarify that. Now, when you are facilitating workshops, and you have a room of, I don't know, a couple hundred people, do you regress everyone at the same time? Well, I've been doing something for many years with groups because I find 
so many people wanted to have regressions. There's so few therapists. I train therapists every year up at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, and and so there are therapists doing this, but people want to have experiences. And I found that I could regress people in a group because their eyes are closed, they're relaxing their bodies. I put on some music and make the situation very, very comfortable for them. And then I just take them back in time. And it's very safe because they can open their eyes at any time and end it. They can float above and just observe the whole thing from a distance if they have any emotion that's disturbing. And that's pretty rare anyway. Or they can breathe themselves deeper and experience it even more clearly. And so it turns out to be very safe to do it in groups. Lots of people have experiences. And it's been my observation over the years that um, in most groups, about two-thirds of people will have a past life memory, even the very first time they're doing it in the group. And they remember it. It's different from doing it in the office because working one-to-one, I can talk to the person, they can answer, and still stay in the memory, stay in the experience. In a group, they can't talk because that would disturb other people. So they just listen, and my voice guides the whole process. And it's it's very effective and very safe. And if they want to do it in more detail, they can always go to see a person, as you did, or a therapist, or past life therapist. Um, but some people don't need it, or they're just curious, and they want to understand, oh, I'm curious, I don't think I need a therapist, but well, how can I learn more? And so we do it in a group, and that works mm-hmm. very well. Yeah, the first one I did was in a group. Mm-hmm. That's where I yeah. came up with Admiral Nelson. And then I had a couple of more that were uh, separately with, with someone who was aware or said that they could do it. And the thing that that I would like to stress is that when you go to a person for past life regression, go to someone who has been schooled in how to do it. Because there are people who go and, you know, it doesn't take long to become a hypnotist. Right. And then all of a sudden they're doing past life regressions. I don't have as much faith in that. I'm not saying they're not doing a good job. I'm not saying they're not doing it right. I'm just saying if someone really goes to you, you know, your classes that you teach professionals, go to a student of your work, I think they're going to get full and real benefits because sometimes I think somebody who does hypnosis doesn't have the background that that you and your students have of being a therapist, a psychiatrist, or a psychologist. And I think that would be very important in this work. Yeah, and I want to expand that because there are very, really good therapists who are social workers or have um, master's degrees in counseling, and, they, and they're good therapists too. And, and people who have had training in clinical therapy, they know what to do when material comes up. They know how mm. to deal with it, how to integrate it. And so what you're saying um, makes a lot of sense that, that uh, if you have psychological issues or problems, uh, going to someone who does past life therapy but also has training in traditional therapy, that's that makes a lot of sense because they'll know what to do with anything that comes up. Some people, you know, will see a, a hypnotherapist, but they don't really, they're just curious, they don't have any symptoms, and that can be okay, but if something more comes up, you should see someone who has therapy a therapy background. Right, because I think a lot of people will go to, uh, there are a number of people I know who are chiropractors and have taken that work and said, okay, now I'm going to do hypnosis, and that's fine. You can go for a past life regression for fun, but 
if something does come up, I think you really need to go to somebody who knows what they're doing right, because they've right. been schooled in it. And it's very important for your own mental health and your own emotional stability to go to somebody that knows. I just can't stress that enough. I, I just wanted to put that out there because right, I think right. it's really important. Yeah, good, We're good speaking... Thought. We're speaking with Dr. Brian Weiss, author of Miracles Happen, The Transformational Healing Power of Past Life Memories. And you can learn more about Dr. Weiss at his website, brianweiss.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-W-E-I-S-S.com. And this is a wonderful conversation. I'm going to ask a question that I don't think there's a definitive answer to, but I'm very curious about. Do you believe that if someone has a regression with you and they resolve issues in this life because of that regression then those issues are resolved fully and they won't, let's say, rear their ugly heads in a future life? Uh, it it sort of helps along that line. I can't say that it's necessarily 100%, but right. but what happens now does change the future. And, and I've written about progressions, too, going into the future. When I talk with physicists and people that, cosmologists, these are people that... Um, talk about multiple futures and time and and it's really weird because we're talking about quantum physics and mm-hmm. these are really really bright and intelligent people and and uh, mind-boggling some of the things they're talking about an infinity of universes a whole uh, infinity of possible futures but a probable future that may be more likely but in general to to summarize it the more good that you do now, the more that you learn, the more blocks that are removed, the the kinder, more compassionate person that you become, the wiser person, then your future lives are going to be better because you've learned the lesson, so you don't have to keep taking it. Now, you can learn a lot, and yet you'll be tested here in life. And so you can say to yourself, wow, you know, I had these past lives, and I learned so much from it. Now I'm a patient person, and you mm-hmm. learn patience. But you're going to be tested. You're going to in traffic, and someone's going to do something, and you're going to see, did I really learn about patience, or is that just a temporary thing? And so, so I can't say that it will disappear completely. Some symptoms do disappear. You know, you have neck pain, and, and you do a regression and find you were hanged in the 15th century for being a criminal, or something like that, and now the neck pain disappears because you don't need to carry that around anymore. You've learned its origins. And and that probably won't come back. But you don't get tested on neck pain. You get tested on the spiritual lessons, nonviolence, compassion, love, charity, hope, um, these kinds of things. That's where the lessons are. You know, it's funny you brought up patience. The universe must be talking to you because... <laughs> my job here, okay? Oh, okay. <laughs> Most of you learning patience. That's what so you're I, working on. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm failing miserably, so when I got my two cats, I named one of them patience because I thought that's the only way I'm going to get patience in my life, and then I thought, <laughs> that was stupid. If I don't learn it, I'll never die. <laughs> you know? Well, so. no, that's, that's I'm laughing because that's a big lesson, T. That's yeah. a tough one, and, and that, you know, a lot of people working on that one, that's not an easy one, and, and then you get tested on it. I know uh, my wife, Carol, she talks about um, and she's working on this too, and she'll talk about that. And one year, I guess in the summer or whenever this happened, she was planting the flower impatience oh, all yeah. over the place, hundreds <laughs> of them. And and then it dawned on her why she was doing that. Impatience, that's what she's working on. And so, 
So she was laughing because here she was planting, planting, planting all of this impatience, and her task was to become more patient. Well, and you don't have to deadhead them. It's great. So you don't have to deal with them once you put them in the ground. I'm right up there with her. Yeah, that's good. But, yeah, I don't like tests. So so I'm not doing – the funny part is I can be really patient teaching someone something. And obviously I'm a type A personality. I mean, it comes across on air, I'm quite sure. uh, But then I get in my Reiki room, and I'm not a type A personality when I'm dealing with people. I'm very patient with them. The patience I need to learn is patience with my life and why I can't control what's going on and having it go the way I want or thinking, okay, I did all this. It's not happening fast enough for me, you know. So divine timing steps into place, and that's another whole thing. Well, in in your work... And when you're working with energies, you're in a patient state. You're doing what you. Um, there's a passion there. There's you're you're in synchrony, in harmony with with the whole process. But when you're not doing that work, and then you're being distracted by everyday life and people and what they're doing and all these other things, then you're out of that zone, and that's where patience comes into play again. So. You know, there are little things that I tell people because it's so hard. That's a tough lesson, and we're all learning that lesson, and people are always testing you. But the less that that people get involved with outcomes, with with Mm -hmm. getting so tied to physical objects, to people, to outcomes, that success, they have to have this, they have to do this, um, the better they'll feel. They'll Mm -hmm. feel There's some sort of thing of flowing with the river rather than swimming upstream. The flowing with the whole process rather than um, opposing it. And and then patience comes when you realize, oh, yeah, there is a whole process to this, and I'm right where I need to be. You know, at this moment, this is not an accident, not a coincidence. <clears throat> it's, it's really um, part of this whole plan, part of this whole process. And and that's a tough one, but there are ways where you can remind yourself to let go, detach, don't take it personally. A lot of good people are giving good advice, and, and they're all, you know, helping. They may say it in different ways, but the advice is be more peaceful because you're perfect already. You may not remember this. You may not realize it. You may forget it. And just flow with that whole process of life because... We're here not by accident, not by coincidence, but we're here to learn these lessons, and we're getting a lot of help. And and I think everything then, when you step back and you take a few deep breaths and you just feel part of the process, like you do in your work, Mm -hmm. if you took that zone outside of your work, you'd find that there's great progress with that whole symptom of impatience. It's very true because I do. I'll say, okay, where I am is where I'm meant to be. I'm yeah. perfect in my imperfections. It's okay. You know that divine timing is always working in your favor. You know everything works out. Why are you rushing this process? So I actually talk to myself because I figure, you know, I need to just remember that part. And and I think it's mostly when it's emotionally based. Anything else, anything that doesn't have um, the, the emotion of love tied to it, which mm-hmm. everything does, but I mean love between like in a marriage or any kind of relationship like that, if it's if that's where I don't have the patience. You know, everything else is like, okay, all right, I can handle it, but that's where I get very impatient. So I do talk to myself to get through it. Yeah, you're doing it, but just yeah. let your let you're the teacher and the student. <laughs> let the teacher t the teacher t get through to the student t, and then you'll be fine. Be like your cat. Your cats yeah. know they they just 
they're part of that flow. They don't rush around. They're the cat knows, and so we can learn a lot from nature and from animals. Yeah, I'll come back as a cat because they my cat because you've got it good. And I'm like I would only come back as my own. One thing you did mention, and I was going to bring this up too, is when you said quantum physics, and then there's the quantum mechanics, which is now telling us that past and future lives are really not a past life. It's really not a future life. Everything is happening simultaneously because there is no time space. And we exist in parallel lives, but we refer to them as past and future lives. Now, this makes sense to me. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay, that, I, can, I can understand that. That's, that makes sense to me. I get it. Right. What's your take on that? It's, it's true. They both exist. Uh, probably there is no time. That's what the physicists are telling us, the quantum physicists, the cosmologists. And everything really is parallel. But on this earth, this physical dimension, everything like time, seems to flow from past to present to future. So there is time, and yet there's no time. There are past lives, and yet they're all concurrent lifetimes or parallels. And how can that be? And to me, it's like when I'm talking to you right now, we're having this good conversation, I'm sitting in a chair, and the chair is supporting my weight, and it's a chair. But I know at a different level that this chair that I'm sitting in is all atoms and molecules and energy and interatomic forces. We know that. Physicists tell us it's made of atoms. So it's a chair, but it's also a field of energy and atoms and subatomic particles and all of that stuff. It's both. And time is like that. It's time, and yet there's no time. This is a chair, and yet it's all just energy. It's both. And so I, I think we need the shorthand to think of a chair and think of time. That's how we get through life in this three-dimensional planet. But at a larger level, there's no time. It's all energy. Yep. Hence the name energy awareness. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. I wasn't thinking there, but you're a step ahead of me. You've already named the show that. Right. Because I know that everything is energy, and it's funny because I was thinking as I was going through your book, I thought, you know, all these regressions are helping people in their future lives. I just know it because when I'm working on people, I'm thinking, I'm working on this person. They are energy. If it's true that there are parallel universes, and I believe there are, past and present, then what I'm working on here is affecting those lives and raising that vibration as well and helping to heal those lives as well. I just... I just know it. That's it has to be. I agree. Yeah, that makes yeah. absolutely good sense to me. You yeah, are, and everything, it. it does. And everything you're doing now is helping future lifetimes or helping parallel lifetimes. And and you don't even have to worry about the scientific details. just have to know that when when you're aligned in the direction of kindness, of loving kindness, everything will fall into place present lives, future lives, everything is going the direction and the way that it should be going. And it can be as simple as that or as complicated as the most complex modern physics. And yet, um, if we just work on our present lives to remove these blocks and obstacles and to feel more joy and more happiness and to treat others that same way with compassion and respect and dignity, and realizing that, that we're all connected then you have nothing to worry about. You don't even have to worry about the details. Everything will be fine. Then you're aligned with that flow that we're talking about. Then you can be patient because it's all going in the right direction. So I completely agree with you. Yeah, and you're helping yourself down the road or in, quote-unquote, the past. 
you know, whatever it is, if you don't want to be helping anybody else, by helping yourself here, you're helping yourselves in other places. Just because we aren't there and aware that we're living that life doesn't mean we're not living that life. Exactly. We're not aware of, of a lot of things, and yet we are on the other side, too. And every time you, for example, in doing your work and doing the energetic healing, and you have this intention to help them in their lives now and in their future lives and when you have that intention, you're also helping yourself, because that's right. that's the no, most noble thing is to help other souls along their journey, and that's what you're doing. And I think if people understood that, when you help others, you help yourself. Wouldn't that be a better world if everybody understood that? But that's another so. show. Yeah, <laughs> well, that that one is going to take a long time because, again, too many first graders and second graders here. We can reach out and help them, but. Just do the best that we can because, sure, the world would be a lot better if people treated each other with dignity and respect and compassion, realizing that we're all connected, of course. And yet most people are still not doing that. I'm I'm more optimistic. I mean, I think that because of the advances in technology, we know so many negative things all the time. You know, we get news from... Afghanistan and Iraq and everywhere else immediately, instantaneously. And it looks like the world is more violent than ever before. But it's not. We just didn't get the kind of news before. There are a lot of good people in this world, a lot of good people. And we shouldn't lose track of that either. You know, in reading your book, there was one that I came across in Letting Go of Grief. Um, and I read it. And it wasn't until about two minutes before I came on air with you that I noticed who the writer was. And I... It's funny because I just spoke with her the other day. And I thought, oh, my God, I didn't notice this before. And I I don't know if I read it wrong or not. It's the one from Michelle Brock. I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. Yeah. And she said that you were doing a past life regression in front of everyone, and she saw herself as a child, but in her current life. Yes. Um, well, Michelle Brock, she, she was the writer of this story. One of the stories in Miracles Happen in that grief chapter. But I remember very much that regression because okay. for that one that you're talking about, I um, Michelle had volunteered. It was one of these courses that I was teaching. Mm-hmm. She volunteered to come on the stage and I was doing a demonstration of what it looks like to do an individual regression. So she might as well have been in my office except there was an audience. Right. And, and she went back and the first part of it when she saw herself as a child, that's um, regression to childhood. So she didn't even begin going into the past life, but she did go into a past life, that very same session. So when she, um, it's not a, you know, Michelle has graciously volunteered this story for the new book and and with her permission and everything, so it's not um, confidential. Um, But Michelle's mother died when she was, Michelle was a baby, and Michelle had no memory of her mother and a big hole in her heart, a void. Mm And in this regression, she was able to go back to when her mother was still alive. And Michelle maybe was two or just a baby, a little girl. And she was in a high chair eating something right. bland like applesauce or something of that sort. And and she could feel, I still remember this, she could feel like the plastic of the seat and the, the, the kitchen and see her mother's face and her eyes and her cheeks and everything so detailed that for Michelle, that part, the regression to childhood, that was really important for her. And then she found her mother and she had a relationship in a past life 
several hundred years ago, and that explained things even more. So for Michelle, she was then able to let go of that grief from the pain of losing her mother, um, and that was really healing to Michelle. So that's a that's a powerful story. It has to be so for me to remember it in such detail mm-hmm. these years later. I found it powerful, too. I mean, I was crying at the end of it. I was crying my eyes out, and I thought, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. She, Instead of going to a past life, she went to her current life to get to go back and then go to a past life. It all makes sense. It tied together so well. I just didn't know you could do that. Oh, sure, you know? sure. It yeah, was, it absolutely. Was, you can go yeah, through this. Yeah, it was the, kind of funny. And, and knowing Michelle, then that makes it even more powerful for you. Yeah. You, you know yeah. the person. Well, I don't. I've never met her. Um, I have a friend who who went to her with her sister and did a did a regression. And then I wanted to speak to her to see if she had come on the show. And she's going to be on in January because this is such a hot topic. Yeah. And uh, you know, I had emailed back and forth, and I shared with her a regression that I had. And it's funny because you were talking earlier about a couple of things, and I thought, okay, I can't get into that story because I'm doing it in January. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you'll find there's enough time in between where people just want to know as much as they can. And, yes. and you're going to have so much to talk about, um, not just today, but with Michelle, too. Look how fast the time goes. I know. It does go. It goes by crazy fast. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm wondering, I know that you said earlier on the show, pretty much at the top of the show, that – uh, at the time when you were starting out doing this work, you know, it wasn't something that people thought a lot of or gave a lot of credit to. And I'm going to guess there are some psychologists and psychiatrists who don't subscribe to this today. But is past life regression taught in colleges as part of the behavioral sciences curriculum at all? It's just beginning to, but it's still difficult in traditional programs because they're controlled and run by people who have been completely trained in a different way. And they're mm-hmm. they're really maybe close minded to it or not not aware of it or they have never really studied it. So it hasn't kind of broken through into traditional programs yet. There are some programs that are beginning to teach courses in in um other types of healing and therapy, past life therapy being one of those alternative health programs. So more and more people are doing it. Not so much in the training programs, but then they come to take our courses or some other courses, like Michelle did. Mm-hmm. She she took the course. Now she's doing regressions too, and others. And so we train people from all over the world at these trainings. People come, therapists from all over the world, and then they go home, and they're doing this in their country. It's amazing to me, for example, that this type of therapy, past life therapy regression therapy is just sweeping through India now. And we oh. would, yeah, I, it's surprising because you would think, well, it India, is. yeah, they've been um, a country, a Hindu country. It's been, time. yeah, <laughs> five, eight, ten thousand years. So a long time. And belief in reincarnation, past lives, um, very, very dominant in India for many centuries. Mm. But using it as a therapy, that's new. So what happened was that I started doing this and others are doing it here and then I did these trainings and they found out that there's so much more to past lives and reincarnation. It's not just a belief system that's taught when you're a child, you know, and passed down that way. Now there's evidence and proof and data and healing and all sorts of things. So they they went crazy with this new knowledge and now 
now people are really wanting to do it as a therapy in India, and it's sweeping the country, a country that doesn't have the block to past lives or reincarnation because they completely believe in it. But now to use it as a therapy, that's new. That is surprising because I would have thought it would have been there all along. It just yeah. never dawned on me that, yeah, it wouldn't be part of No, it's developed what here in the West, yeah, of all <laughs> things, and and now getting exported back to India. That's that's very interesting, though. Now, you, uh, I know you do classes, and I think you're doing one up at Omega next week, correct? Yes, yes, I'm teaching. I, twice a year I teach at Omega, and you, you know, people can find. This year, unfortunately, they're full. They're, they're sold out. But, well, that's good. That's yeah, good. no, it's very good. It's unfortunately for people that want to come in and camp. But next year, we'll do two more um, trainings up at Omega Institute. And the information's all up on my website. It will be when registration is available. So <clears throat> so um, we look forward to having people come. And the people that come to these, the prerequisite is that they are a therapist of some sort. Um, most are, so, but you don't have to be a therapist. We did that the first time, okay. and it was really tough. It was really hard. We had oh. like, we, we limit the size of the group to 150, and we had um, they were all therapists, and it was so left-brained. You know, people. I start to talk, and a hand would go up, and a psychiatrist oh. would say, "You know, Freud in the Interpretation oh, of Dreams on page 177 <laughs> said." Then another hand would go up, a psychologist would stand up and say, no, that was on page 159 of the recognized edition. So we just wanted to go home. Eventually they became a good group and it was fabulous. Now we we have it so that about half the group are just there for experiences. They're not therapists. They just want to... I didn't think I could go. I was like, I want to do this. Yeah, you can can go. Half the group is just there to have experiences. And the therapists like that because now they have people to work with and and practice on, and the other people like it because they have opportunities to have regressions all week long. So we right. mix the group now. We don't require that you're a therapist because this way it's much easier. And some people don't want – they're not therapists. They're never going to do it. They just want to have a week of intensive experiences. I think that's great. Now, I know you have a workshop coming up on November 3rd in Philadelphia because I was supposed to go with my little buddy Tammy who forgot to get the tickets. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, yeah, that's going to be a big one because that's a one-day one, so I don't put the limit like we do with the therapist. Yeah, yeah, that you can fit more people in the room. Yeah. You don't have to, not as intense. And the people uh, so in Philadelphia, they, they're very supportive, always has been. So it's going to be a great event on November 3rd. No, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's going to be wonderful. And, um, and then my last question for you is, I, you know, other than Catherine, who was the catalyst to all of this, really, is there any past life regression that, like, really wowed you, really, like, knocked your socks off and said, oh, my goodness, I never heard anything like this before, and it just really sticks in your mind as an incredible thing? Oh, yeah, there's so many. I mean, Miracles Happen is filled with those stories, but actually there's one that happened even before we were putting together this, these incredible stories in this new book of a woman who's a very famous uh, woman, a very well-known professional woman, was up at Omega taking one of these professional, the, taking the professional course, and she had severe back pain. She didn't even know she could make it. Back pain from cancer and treatment for mm. cancer, radiation, surgeries chemotherapy 
She remembered a lifetime 2,000 years ago where she had a healing in that lifetime. She was a man whose back was broken by Roman soldiers, and he needed a cane and was crippled in that life. Um, there was a healing then in ancient uh, Jerusalem, and that man's back was healed. And 2,000 years later in Omega, in Rhinebeck, New York, this woman's back was healed. Pain disappeared. She'd been on pain medicine for 17 years. Strong medicine. She was able to stop it immediately. Um, her x-rays of her back changed. The, the lesion, the injury was healing. Bone was regenerating. Her hair, she was in her 60s. She was having her hair colored because it, mm-hmm. it was gray, but she was having a colored black. Her, her original colored hair started growing in dark again. So profound physical changes from that past life healing. And that that case really still sticks out as one of the most powerful ones. Because we had like MRIs and X-rays of the change, the healing that happened to bone and other tissues. Sure, and when you have that to back it up, I mean, yeah. really... Yeah, you know, you can't you can't say that's not real. You, it, no. it's, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's it shocked obvious. her doctors. Yeah, because she stopped <laughs> taking the medicine, and that was like amazing. You know, it's funny because doctors go, do get shocked. I've had people walk in with cancer and go to the doctor three days later, and they don't have cancer and they don't know what happened. And they're yeah. like, "We don't know what happened," you know. And, and, and I think they call, yeah, they sometimes they call it the placebo effect, but it's still yeah. it doesn't matter. It's still right. incredibly it's still strong. Healing. It's, it's still, a healing. Yeah. I mean, exactly. just because it's called placebo doesn't negate it. No, you know, I, no. You negate that, and I think, why do you negate that? It is mind over matter. I don't heal anybody. You heal yourself. Your body knows what to do. I'm just a conduit bringing in energy so that you'll do it. And, exactly. you know, yeah, mm-hmm. people like that. This hour has flown by, which is a bummer, because it's so <laughs> fascinating. We were but just proving there is no time, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. We have to go by the clock, though, that's on the wall. <laughs> right, right. It's It's radio. Well, if you would, please tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and where they can purchase your book. Yeah, the book, um, Miracles Happen, you can get it anywhere. Bookstores, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your independent bookstore. It's wherever books are sold, online or in stores. And there's much more information on the website that you gave, brianweiss.com. Questions and answers, not just the schedule, but things that we couldn't cover today because the time went so quickly. There's much more information up there. It, and it is, and this book is an incredible book. If you're looking for something to give you any kind of hope or any, you know, anything to hold on to, read the book, get the book. It would make a great gift for someone. The holidays are coming. It's fabulous. I'm so intrigued by it, and I'm so appreciative of your time. Thank you so, so much, Dr. Weiss. I, I so much appreciate you taking time to be here today. Sure. Thank you, T. You are quite welcome. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next Wednesday at 6 for another show here at Energy Awareness Radio. So go ahead and mark your calendar now so you remember to tune in next week. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantum-wellness-center.com. You'll find an archived list of past shows, a lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events I'll be hosting throughout the year. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio. I am your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Take care, stay well, and remember, living from your heart is really easy. You need only give thanks to do it. Have a great night.
Uh-oh. Where'd he go? Hello. Hello. Uh, 